0: You can take your proactiveness and pop it up a level and be a little meta about it and be like, okay. And this is a, something that I recommend a lot of engineering leaders do is look at your risks. And I actually recommend people maintain a risk list. of uh, These are the things that could go wrong based on the information that I have. And some of these could be perhaps very significant.
1: If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey everyone. Today we are talking about a very interesting topic. Company Stage Appropriate Processes with Don Neufeld. Hey, Don, thanks for being on Scaling Tech today.
0: Hey, Debbie, thanks so much for having me.
1: So before we jump into this topic, which I love, um, a little bit about Don for those that don't know you. So Don is the VPE coach, the vice president engineering coach. Um, you're an executive coach for many Uh Startup engineering leaders, um, because you, you've done the job, right? And I think that's what makes you such an effective coach, right? So you've been an executive at every stage, startup, really, from founder all the way through, um, from founding company all the way through IPO, including CTO of Medium, VPN at ClassPass, and VPN at ChartBoost. Um, so, really excited to have you. Um, and so, I want to jump in by, let's set the stage. What do we mean by stage-appropriate process, and why is it so important?
0: Great question. Um, I think that maybe one of the best ways to understand stage-appropriate process is to talk about what it's not, Um, which is that uh, there's a lot of things you might read about, uh, about engineering practices or HR practices when you're building a company. Uh, and some of those things are from, let's say, very large companies, um, Google, um, Meta, etc. And uh, it can be really uh, feel like that's the right way to do it. Um, and, and that's the opposite of a, of a stage appropriate process. A stage appropriate process is the right process for you, not some abstract correct best process and this, for, especially in engineering uh, this can be really challenging because you know engineers really want to do things the right way um and so the idea of having an, an optimal or best process is very attractive to us
1: mm-hmm. yeah no i even even you know throughout my career i've worked from startups through companies that have ipo'd and um and it's it's really a struggle because it's it's um mm-hmm uh, you think you want to like follow in the footsteps of giants, right? But, but you might not write this minute, right? So I, so I, I love that you framed, um, what it's not. And so let's say I'm an engineering leader and, you know, you had said to me before this conversation that a lot of, a lot of engineering leaders just kind of want the answer. Like what should our process be? And it is not a one size fits all answer because of what you just said. So how do, you, how do you answer this? And how do you help engineering leaders navigate this?
0: That's a, that's a great question. And I, when I'm working with clients on this, we really start with looking at the landscape of what their pain points are now. Because any process that you're going to have serves a purpose. And I think that's where it can be easy to lose track of that uh, when you're sort of reading or modeling other companies because you don't see their why. You don't see why a big company might have like a promotion committee or might have, you know, a particular hiring process where maybe the engineer doesn't know what team they're going to join before. Like those are those have different whys behind them than you would have as a small company. So we start with the, the pain points that they're actually experiencing. And this can be uh, again going back to sort of like engineers and the way we are is very frustrating to us because we try to anticipate problems and get out in front of them so that we don't have pain, um, but that actually uh, can often turn into us solving the wrong problem. And so one of the ways to figure out you know, uh, what are the right processes for you is to, to look around and like what's not working and which of those are costing us enough to be worth it because process is not free. Uh, I'm sure we've all had our experiences of onerous processes, whether they're the company we've worked in or perhaps some entity that we had to interact with. Uh, and so whenever we're taking those things into our business, we need to make a trade and that trade needs to be worth it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting as you're talking about this, I am recalling many times in my career, I've been tempted to follow the performance review process and the hiring process of companies like Google like LinkedIn and and so let's say you're an engineering leader and you say okay my my performance review process or my hiring process is broken is it then it's not then true right then you then need to adapt the ones that Google does because that is like maybe you you might you might over do it, right? I mean, it's okay. So you identify your process, and that's how you know you need to implement stage appropriate process because mm-hmm. something's broken. How do you know what kind of jump or leap or step to take when when you know the, the big companies have lots of um marketing and they put their messaging out there? This is what worked for us, right? And so that's very easy to find. So how do you then know what step to take once you identify where to? dive in and, and, okay, I'm going to take this cost hit, process change is not free. What stage, do, how do I ladder up, if you
0: will? Well, if you're looking for comparables, I think yeah. that that looking at things that other companies that have similar sizes can be a much better starting place than you know, sort of big tech. And so if you're you know a series B company and you have 30 people on your engineering team, then looking for things that have been written by the leaders of similar or maybe slightly larger companies uh, will be helpful in you informing your own sort of uh, assessment of what my options are. Because there's, the, the, the purpose here is not to reinvent the wheel um, every time you have a new thing. Like There's value in understanding what other people have done and, and the consequences of what they have done. Uh, it can be, you know, useful and to see around corners, like what are the implications of this going to be if I do it, um, yeah. but the comps have to be uh, relevant, um, right? You know, just like you know, if you ask a realtor what's my housework, they're going to look around your neighborhood. They're not going to look, you right. know, in another city, even though that's a similar size house. It's just, you know, not relevant.
1: So that's that's a really great analogy. And so, who are our realtors, right? I mean coaches like yourself are a really valuable piece of information because the the comparables we might not be able to find those in our in our everyday life, right? If you if you're lucky enough to be a portfolio company of a VC company, maybe you can have access to those engineering leaders, but and that's part of why we're doing this podcast, a big part of it are like let's let's share a peek underneath the hood in areas that are hard to find, right? And so Working with someone like yourself is, I think, a really valuable way, but how else can uh, engineering leaders find those comparables, find those, you know, the broker who can give us the answer and connect us?
0: Well, I think, um, you know, having community is tremendously valuable. You know, you sort of alluded to one form of community in that, you know, if you're a VC-backed company, going to your investors and asking them to connect you can be very, very effective. Uh. Typically, you know, when you're building a company, you choose funds the, to invest in you that will focus on your stage. So it's likely that they will have comparable companies that they can um, introduce you to. And some of them even run, and you know, I've, I've been part of uh, you know, various groups um, that venture firms have run to come in and you know, speak to them where they get you know, a dozen or so heads of engineering or other sort of function leaders together to share knowledge and learn from each other. Uh, so there may be sort of VC-run communities you can join. Um, there's also a number of communities out there, like 106 Miles, for example, um, is a, a community that focuses on you know, best practices for early stage companies. Um, and so some of those things. But you know, if you don't have access to any of those, trying to connect with technical peers uh, at the same kind of stage companies Uh, I think is a very effective way going to meetups, trying to really build that personal network.
1: Yeah, I I really like that. And I think um, I'm seeing a lot of renewed energy in um, the CTO clubs throughout the country. And there's eight or nine of them and they gather often and they're really focused on um, being a true safe space for peers And so, and, and even through the CTO connection, right, the CTO summits. And so there are, the last few years has been tougher to come by these sorts of communities if you don't already pre-exist with one, but, um, I really, I really support what you're saying and I'm a big proponent of that. So, um, that's certainly something if, if folks are, you know, hesitant to spend a lot of time, you know, try to find something, um, you know, to, to attend or, you know, again, like, like podcasts, peer groups, coaches, um, get out and find your peer group. Um, so let, us say we do that. We upgrade our process. Um, how do we know if we've overshot it? Right. If we think we, okay, mm. we, didn't do, we didn't do the Google or the Spotify, you know, and like what, Spotify is a great example. Like so many people have adopted squads and guilds and tribes and, you know, too soon. Right. And so how do how do you, how do you know when you've overshot or if you've overshot?
0: So I, I, guess I've got a couple of, of ideas for how to detect that. Um, one is, uh, sort of to connect your process, whatever it is. So imagine that you were a leader and, and rather than building the organization, you were hired in and you were doing an evaluation of a sort of situation in, in progress. You would look at each part and, and ask questions like, okay, why is this here? Um, how can I tell if it's working and, you know, what is that metric or, you know, that survey telling me, uh, about its effectiveness? So I think there's, there's one approach, uh, like that to kind of go back to the why. And the other, I think would be, let's take the, the Spotify model, for example, um, is if you've got something like that off the shelf, uh, you should get a sense from the community of like, how does this look like? when it's working. For example, one of the reasons that the Spotify model has challenges uh, at small scale is that the pods are so small that you don't have enough engineers uh so that um you can actually get a lot of work done in the group because your total headcount in the company is just very small. Um so you've you know sort of cut things too fine, you might say. Uh and so you'll see side effects. Um, And a side effect of that would be, for example, uh, you know, when an engineer goes on vacation, like a pod stops being able to get work done because they're they're the only mobile engineer. And so for two weeks, like the pod can't get any work, like you'll see some negative effects. Um, And and, and I'm really, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for being proactive as a leader, but there's also something to be said for taking a step back and waiting for things to be needed. Because when you're responding to what the situation is actually telling you rather than you anticipating what it might need in the future, uh, you're more likely to do things that are actually going to be um, valuable.
1: It's, when, you, when you said that, I had like an internal reaction of anxiety. <laughs> and I think, I think that like some people will hear this and be relieved that it's okay to do that because that's the way they've always done it. And some people will get anxious because they fear um, having to let go of the way they've always done things, um, and and so I, I appreciate you saying that because I think it's how you show up and how you support and what you do proactively and what you do reactively. I think all of those um, those kind of tactics. Because if you don't wait to see what's needed, you might power through and never like and never never take that time to know that you've overshot. Right. You might
0: another way to look at it is to say like it's a form of listening. And you know, if you had a leader that wasn't listening, you might expect that they would take some missteps and you know maybe the team would, would have some frustrations versus a leader that, that is listening. Um I, but I love what you had to say there about like, oh that gives me some anxiety. Um and, and I think you're right because uh there are different um, implications to some of these things going off the rails uh, or you know, having certain pain points. So you don't want the pain point that your customer data is for sale on the dark web. That's a very like not, not attractive pain point, very difficult to solve that one. Um, uh, some companies might call that like a one-way door. So you can take your proactiveness and pop it up a level and be a little meta about it and be like, okay, and this is a, something that I recommend a lot of engineering leaders do is look at your risks. Um, and I actually recommend people maintain a risk list of uh, these are the things that uh, you know could go wrong based on the information that I have. And some of these could be perhaps very significant. For example, um, you know as engineering leaders, we tend to focus on technical problems. That's very attractive to us. Uh, but it's pretty easy to iterate on, let's say your dev process, Compared to maybe your salary structure, so getting your compensation structure wrong can be a very expensive thing to fix later, versus uh, oh, you know, we needed to change how we do deploys or how we do all these other things. You know, we're drawn to that technical challenge, and maybe we're not drawn to the uh, the people challenge. But the cost of getting the people challenge wrong is so much larger. So if you if you look at this from a risk point of view, you're like, oh, maybe that pushes my attention to the things that I'm otherwise avoiding, but really do need a little bit of that proactiveness because fixing it after it's broken is just too costly on that one.
1: Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because that ties nicely into my next curiosity, which was like, can you scale back if you've overshot? And and you're just talking about, well, it depends on what you've overshot on, because if you've overshot on compensation sure you can but
0: <laughs> consequences will be significant yes right. and i think right. know that's something that we've been going through as an industry is that you know maybe in some cases you know we need to rethink some of our compensation and wow that's hard that's a that's a difficult ask for people to get on board with um and uh so how how do you know if you've overshot um you know there's going to be some side effects Uh, In that case, maybe like your investors are like, hey, we're paying people too much or, you know, something like that would be your side effect. Uh, But you'll start to get some signal uh, that will indicate, oh, this is uh, this process is not working for us. And it could be as simple as engineers are unhappy. They feel like it's uh, it's really bureaucratic. Okay, like, let's dig into that. What is going on there and what can we change uh, that would be worth it?
1: And, and so even within that is a process because I'm wondering how do you know if your um, employees, your engineers are unhappy and even that is a process. It could be uh, a verbal ask. It could be um, a survey. It could be, uh, right? Like there, there's even uh, mechanisms that are very heavy or very light to either gather those side effects, right? If you're one team around a, a table or a zoom, maybe, you know, you could tell if someone's unhappy, but if you're, you know, a 500 person engineering team, you're not going to see people every day. Right. So even, even gathering that feedback. So, all right. So if, if you, you have a risk list and you, you wait for your pain points and you try to make that, that laddered step and that stage appropriate next step, and you're looking for that feedback, um, is there um, any sort of what have you seen work best in terms of looking for those signals when you're like a, a growing you know tech company? Is it is it is it like lightweight anecdotal or is it kind of apples to apples measuring trends over time or does that also depend?
0: So I, I think humans are uh, and there's some data around this. We're di- we're, we're not great at making um, absolute sort of like judgments um in terms of like on a on a scale of like you know one to ten how happy are you that's a difficult thing for people to uh answer reliably in a way that that seems to correlate with with what's going on for them we're better at comparing things so one technique that i like to use is to ask people let's say in the context of process um do you feel that it's better worse or the same than it was three months ago. So the benchmark is something that, uh, is relevant, like not too far. You know, if you ask them, let's say, you know, how's our process compared to another company you worked at? Could not, could be a very different kind of environment there. You know, you come from a big company to a startup. You're going to have a lot to say, but are those necessarily helpful here? Um, so leveraging that ability to make relative judgments uh, rather than absolute uh, is, uh, I think, a, a technique you can use. Um, and, and it's, it's so interesting that you, you mentioned that like, yeah, the way that we learn things changes as the company scales. And in fact, that I think is one of the biggest drivers of how these processes have to change is that we can only maintain so many relationships, especially like sort of the high bandwidth ones where we're getting a lot of information. And so as the number of people in the company goes up, we just, you know, naturally can no longer keep up and we need to create structure and we need to create information flows and associated processes. So if we take all that complexity and we stick it in a small company, we're just like, we're solving (laughs) a problem they don't have.
1: Right, right. And so like, so I'm going to, I'm going to go the other way now because I think it's very relevant. So what if everything's going fine, you're growing and you're scaling your process to map and you're within shooting distance and you haven't overshot or undershot and everything's going well, and then the the size of your company gets cut in half. Maybe you do several rounds of layoff, which is happening, um, you know, as we speak. What if you sell off part of your company um, and you go the other way, right? Now you have this process that everyone's used to mm-hmm. and bought into and, and, and is comforted by, but 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 really, it is no longer a stage appropriate process. It's no, no longer stage appropriate overnight. Yeah. Well, what what do you do in that case?
0: Well, um, I think that you need to do a really significant reevaluation, rather than um, uh, sort of assuming that things are going to be okay and and. Uh, Maybe going through this over a period of multiple uh, quarters or years is step back and really look at the whole situation. And I'm thinking particularly here about you know companies have a tendency when they go through these kind of things to maybe um, preserve the number of layers, but that's no longer necessary. You end up with a very vertical org structure where you might have a director with two teams, and then those two you know teams are you know relatively small, uh, and so you go like okay like why do we have a director layer here at all? Maybe we can just have managers reporting into you know, the head of the function. Um, and so uh, I think as a leadership team, when you're going through that kind of significant change, uh, you can't be too precious about what you're doing now uh, because you'll miss um, some necessary changes like that that I think are then going to be really painful to uh sort of iterate towards um i I've,
1: I've yeah i've i've lived through that um a while ago and it was painful because it 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 was it took a very long time for that realization to surface
0: yeah um, we look
1: turning over all the wrong rocks and then we're like wait it's us <laughs> <laughs> at, get, get, get
0: blame oh it was me <laughs>
1: right. my job is no like that's it's like my job is no longer needed right yeah. um and that's that's really um that takes a lot of self-reflection and and I've, I've seen it firsthand i've seen it secondhand where you where you have a very healthy leverage mix and all of a sudden goes Boop! <laughs> and it's
0: just, yeah it's, it's, it's just, scary um, it yeah. takes a tremendous amount of maturity as a leader especially if one of the conclusions there that you know, may that it's you, um, or perhaps it's, you know, people that you brought into the organization, people you care about. Um, uh, there can be a lot of sort of personal parts to that too. It's hard.
1: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, so I, re- I really am latching on to some of these interesting kind of takeaways that you've shared with us today in terms of... Um, really um, keeping a, a risk list, really um, thinking about um, comparables and finding community to assess those comparables, um, how to think about um, when you when you do downsize, if you do downsize, how to readjust or when to readjust. And so these have been really powerful um, takeaways that I think everyone can really take back to their teams this is great um as we as we uh, wrap up, is there is there any sort of like if I had a nickel for <laughs> every time, right? um is there like a common the biggest, the most costly mistake or the most common mistake that you see either startups make or engineering leaders at large make that you want to kind of share some insights on how to kind of sidestep uh, one of the biggest things that you come across in your in mm, your
0: mm-hmm. leadership? yeah, I think. You know, we're kind of going through a moment as an as an industry, or maybe it's been a little bit longer than a moment here. Yeah,
1: moment. Um, <laughs> where
0: where we've been shifting gears from uh, a, a growth at all costs, which has had tremendous implications on process. We hire more, we onboard more, we you know, grow more, we do all kinds of things uh, to maybe a f- more efficiency focus or more, you know, being able to do more with less or the same. Um, and I think that transition is very hard. Uh, it's makes us question a lot of our fundamentals, uh, and assumptions. Um, and, uh, I think that, the, the thing that I see people you know, making the most mistakes with is to assume that the new world looks a lot like the old world, um, maybe because it feels safe, maybe it's because it's what we know. Um, but at least right now, what I think leaders and engineering leaders especially uh, would benefit from is more focus on understanding their business, understanding their businesses uh, structure, um, uh, the things that keep your executives up at night, uh, probably have a lot to do with you know your, your cash burn and your bank balance, And a whole bunch of things that maybe you haven't had to think about as an engineering leader Um, and uh, making sure that you are adjusting, let's say your risk list to compensate for the fact that uh, if the company unexpectedly spends a bunch more money because engineering did something, that might have implications on headcount.
1: And I think the connecting the lines, it's okay. And valued to ask for insight into data that you might not like might not have had before
0: from the from the business right yes yes Be-
1: because the, if if you're if you're not used to thinking about things chances are that you haven't seen mm-hmm. the data and, you, and right then and maybe maybe a certain set of people were looking at data when it was growth at all costs and now that the 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 growth equation has changed maybe um, as engineering leaders it's our job to request these data sets, you know what is what is our profit forecast? what is our cash position? what is our revenue growth, right what is our p l right and really almost like um expand the 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 finance the education around the finances of the business so that we can, then do our jobs and and form those stage appropriate processes, right? Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: if we don't have the data, then we're making inferences, and that's a whole mess in and of itself. So I think it's like, all right, it's it's okay to think about things differently, and in order to think about things d- differently, we might need access to data that we haven't had before. Do you do you agree with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Is that and a fair statement? That, you know, uh, a good place to start if you can get it is a copy of um, you know, your board decks. Yeah. You know? Ask ask your CEO if they'll share, you know, uh, what they're sharing with the board. Um, you know, ask your uh, head of sales to give you a walkthrough of like the pipeline. You know, get a little bit more product curious. uh, you know, make friends with BI. Um, you know, the 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 people who are like on the ground, like with the numbers, can often like tell you a lot.
1: Yep. No. This this is I I love that we ended on this because that's something so valuable, Um, it's really the importance of like a real 360 degree business education, right? On the job (laughs) education is is really critical and and a valuable skill. With that, I will say, uh, it's sadly time to wrap up, but this has been um, really insightful and and eye-opening and I appreciate your time and thank you so much for being with us, Don.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: Take care. Hey everyone, if you've enjoyed today's episode, Remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.